Welcome to Educated Conjecture, an Ipsos podcast that combines what the public thinks with what the experts think. Each week, Ipsos's Mike College and Sean Simpson are joined by an informed guest to discuss a current or emerging issue. In this episode, J.P. Gedeon, leadership psychology and transformation expert, joins Mike and Sean to discuss how people and organizations are coping with anxiety and uncertainty in life and in work. They'll also explore how working Canadians are dealing with the seemingly endless Groundhog Day of remote work and why it's important to make your bed. And now, on to the episode. and welcome to Educated Conjecture. Uh, it's my college and I'm with my colleague, Sean Simpson. Sean, how are you? I am good, Mike. We're recording this right before the long weekend, so I'm uh, going to be really good in about 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's, uh, it's, we've had a little bit of a hiatus as our day jobs took over and we couldn't do some podcasts, so it's good to get back. Um, for those of you who have listened to us before, Sean and I have, uh, as a side gig, this great podcast, where we bring in uh, people who are way smarter than us, uh, um, who know a lot more about things than we do outside of polling and research. And we get to have a little chat and uh, Sean and I come out uh, better for it. Absolutely, because all I really do is talk about what Canadians tell me. I have no original thought of my own. Exactly. <laughs> the wisdom of crowds. Do you have a, Speaking of wisdom of crowds, do you have a, uh, a stat you'd like to share with the, with the folks? I do. You know, recently the, uh, there was an announcement by the uh, federal liberal and NDP parties that they would work together. Not a formal coalition because the NDP doesn't have seats in cabinet, uh, but we wanted to get Canadians uh, – you know, assessment on this. And in fact, 63% support the Liberals and the NDP working together with the goal of avoiding an election. That may be more about avoiding an election than actually caring much about, about the cooperation. But um, they are skeptical as to whether or not the agreement will actually lead to better policies. Only 48% think that it will actually lead to better policies. So again, I think it's more of an, uh, an election avoidance uh, issue than it is um, necessarily, you know, uh, a long-awaited marriage of, of policies between the Liberals and the NDP. Excellent. Well, you know what? Um, uh, whether skeptical or not, there's a huge pressing issue on most people's uh, agenda. Um, and it's not the issues that uh, have we've dragged around the block for the last couple of years. It's not climate change. It's not even the pandemic or coronavirus. It's cost of living. Um, and specifically when you drill down, it's housing affordability and accessibility. Um, but on cost of living, day-to-day cost of living, um, 24% of Canadians say, I'm tapped out. Uh, I can't make small changes, major changes, any changes. I just cannot find any more room in my household budget. Um, not surprisingly, um, if you're under the low income level, your covers around 42% who say that, which is a big number of low income houses who say I'm tapped out. But I think somewhat surprisingly, um, um, middle aged, the, it's the X, the X generation and the, and the millennials who, uh, are more likely to feel that pressure boomers. So they know a lot of them have sat with their pensions. So, uh, yeah. so, so we have some challenging times ahead and, and we've been through a couple of years of challenging times. So maybe this is a good time to bring in our guest today. Um, there'll you, those of you, if you've gotten this far into the podcast, you've heard the intro and you know who we're speaking to. Uh, but I'd like to introduce Dr. J.P. Gideon, who we'll call Get J.P. from from here on in. Um, he's one of uh, North America's leading transformation culture, workforce, organization, mobilization experts. He is um, 
National Director for the Center of Excellence in Strategic Business Transformation and Leadership at the uh, Schulich Business School, and um, has become quite a good friend. Uh, I would say a Zoom friend or a Teams friend, um, uh, because our relationship or our, our, our partnership has almost all been, well, it's, it's entirely been pre post-COVID and online. So welcome, JP. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And one day, we'll need to shake hands. We will We will need to shake hands and probably have a drink. Um, but that that's not going to be today. So how are you today? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm listening to the stats you guys are throwing out, and I'm, I'm concurring with them. I, I, I get it, um, especially the cost of living one, where uh, it's just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. And I, I was just saying to my wife the other day, we just went to a grocery store, just a regular run, and I was blown away by the total. And I'm looking at what I'm putting in my car going, I cannot believe this costs this much money. So I, 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 I understand where the frustration is coming from, but this is just going to feed into just the general societal uh, stress at adapting to all of this change. Yeah, it's um, it's been quite a run. Um, you know, if you go back two years ago to uh, the the sharp acute shock of the pandemic for, for many people, March 2020, right? Um, we shut off things. And uh, and I think fear and anxiety spiked, um, uncertainty spiked. So as we said, this is just one more on the long list. Um, um, maybe maybe we could talk about that. Where are we today? Um, you know, if we were in a, in the the throes of the pandemic two years ago. Has it just got? Are we numb to it? I don't know that we're numb to it. I, th- I think we're rebelling against it. Quite frankly, we're in the middle of a massive sixth wave. Everybody knows it, and nobody seems to care. You know, I think it's just kind of like we're kind of over it. Um, but the over it thing, I don't think is just about the pandemic. I think, you know, we've spent two years of being pushed down, being isolated, being afraid, being anxious. Uh, you know, job security went down. Employment was a big problem. There was sort of like a bifurcation in the marketplace where some people lost their livelihoods and others made tons of money, you know. And so yeah. the middle ground was disappearing. And what does that mean for me? And the, 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 the housing prices shot up like enormously. It was mind-blowing how much they shot up. So people are trying to figure out what is my future about. And so there is this constant pressure pushing down on people's shoulders. And not only that, in a lot of organizations, uh, private and public, well, in private, there was a scramble to figure out how do I keep my business running? How do I keep sales going? Uh, you know, what What are the new departments like? How do I work virtually? Because so many organizations weren't even prepared to go full remote. And in the public sector, there was the constant redeployments. And, you know, I'm, I'm the director of public works, but today I man the door at the vaccination clinic, right? So <laughs> yeah. every day, I don't know what I'm about to do. So the uncertainty really took a hit. And I think what started to happen, and I think if you're asking me where we are today, um, I think people are tired of the hamster wheel. I think security and stability is something that people are craving. Um, And that in and of itself is causing a degree of um, uh, resentment and uh, pushback. I don't want to say rebellion as much as uh, uncooperativeness, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think the bandwidth is is dwindling. We're, We're not resilient. 
Well, I was yeah. just going to say, you know, have you have you seen resiliency, or or are are we are we just getting sort of clobbered and, and giving up? I guess there's two different levels. One is that sort of a more personal level, but then the other would be at an organizational or business level. So let's let's start at the individual level. Is your have you been surprised uh, in in um, I, I guess how how resilient we have been because we, you know, we more or less stayed on course for about 19 months. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's only mm-hmm. kind of been in the last three months where, as you say, we're just sort of throwing in the towel and saying, okay, we're, we're done. It's endemic now. And we're just going to get on with it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, there is this thing in, in, in the world of psychology and transformation. And it's like, it's the X factor, right? What is that thing? And nobody knows what it is. Nobody can tell you what it is and nobody can put their finger on it. Why is it that certain people in a hardship or in a difficult situation uh, crumble and other people just explode and thrive? You know, what is that? I wish we could bottle that because we would be billionaires, the three of us. So I what I appreciate you sharing that with us, by yeah, the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that was generous of you. I kind of brought you with me on yeah. that. Eh? Um, yeah. But you see, what, what's interesting is the, the level of stress and workload the, shot up and burnout was all over the place. And I am hearing, I don't know about you guys, but I'm with my clients, I'm hearing the word stress leave more often than I have in my entire mm-hmm. life. 30% vacancies and, you know, all of this. So on the upside... You see people who are trying to redefine their lives. That's what the whole great resignation is about. Where do I belong? What do I actually want? You know, what do I believe in? Is my life where, is my life going where I want it to go? But then there's the other side where there is the, I am exhausted. I am depleted. I'm not sure how to move. At two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm falling asleep. Um, you know, I, I, I've spent the entire pandemic dealing with everything on a screen and now my focus is shot and, you know, all, all of this kind of stuff happening at the same time. So one of the big questions I get a lot from clients in industry, and it's interesting that you would say personally and corporately, because kind of in my world, they're inextricably linked. You know, like a corporation is made up of just a bunch of individuals, right? right. So the health of the individuals does make up the health of the corporation to some degree um, in certain ways. The answer was always, if you're exhausted and the stress is coming at you and you can't rest, because, I mean, you could easily say, why don't you take six weeks off? But what if you can't? You know, what if you can't take three weeks off? What if you have to continue? Then the answer, you know, to your question, Sean, was it's about framing your capacity to understand what's happening, taking on a particular mindset to what's going on where the difficulty actually translates into meaning for you, that you really do take each moment as a learning opportunity that is both experientially relevant and existentially relevant, so that each day at the end of the day, it is not a wasted exercise of frustration, but you took a step forward where you learned something useful about yourself, about your life, about your family, about your goals, and you can go to sleep at least feeling like you did something. And that particular process of how do I wrap my head around this, what is that mindset, there are actual parts of what that is. And so the people who really get into, you know, a transformative mindset are doing a lot better at this point um, than others. And for everybody else, every straw breaks the camel's back. Correct. Yeah. It's just as another one on top. You mentioned the great resignation. Um, I'm, you know, at first, it's the, the 
jury's out on whether we're seeing that kind of same thing in Canada as we're in the U.S., but there's certainly lots of movement um, in the labor market. Um, and at first it was, look at all the opportunities that people are running to new opportunities. I'm increasingly of the view that people are escaping their current realities, that it's out of despair, it's out of languishing, it's out of, you know, it's got to be better over there sort of thing. What do you, what do you think? I think, I, I think the pandemic didn't cause any new problems. I think what it did is it highlighted all the old ones and then lit them on fire. <laughs> right? Okay. So I yep. think if you were unhappy, now you're unhappy and on fire. Right? I, th- I think that's what it was. And there's always a question around, are people doing this the right way? Again, you know, transformative leverage is about, it's like top-down decision-making. What do I want to do? Uh, what really resonates with me? What's meaningful to me? What would I enjoy doing for the next 20 years of my life? Whereas I think, you know, to your point, Mike, a lot, a lot of people are kind of like, I don't like this. What else can I do? Yeah. And so there's a lot of motility going on, but I'm not sure that the motility is going to uh, is going to result in any kind of meaning. There might this might go on for a while. So this this notion that we're just tired and stressed out, is it f- functional or psychological? Meaning, are we are we actually working more? Like I I, I feel like I am, but I don't know whether I actually am. Um, or is it is it just I'm done with this lather, rinse, repeat cycle where I'm not, as you said, I'm not learning new things about myself, being presented with new challenges, uh, visually seeing new scenery, etc. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, you know, and I don't think it's, you know, lather, rinse, repeat because, you know, I think I think the shampoo bottle is empty. We're just rinsing and like, where the hell is the shampoo? Um, you know, we're not even cleaning uh, our hair anymore. Uh, you know, there is an element of being uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, maybe more than now, like being trapped, almost like being in prison, like where we were on house arrest. Uh, you know, let's, we weren't, but that's how it felt. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the adaptation uh, happened there where people found a way to uh, get used to being at home. And now the world is opening a little bit. And not everybody felt that way. There were a lot of people that were surprised how well they did being stuck at home all the time. You know, they were like, actually, I kind of enjoy this, you know. So there was a little bit of a mixed bag on that side. But the existential question on the other of kind of, wait a second, are we working more? Uh, in my experience, almost every client that I've had, yeah, they're working more hours. But are they useful hours? Are they doing things that uh, really are increasing productivity and efficiency in a way that is uh, meaningful? A lot of clients are spending so much time just doing update meetings online and God knows what. They don't yeah. see each other in the hallway. And, you know, they, they, they really bought into this idea that a remote work environment is just kind of recreating the office online. Right. And it's really not like that is only one kind of remote work environment, but it's not the most sophisticated. The most sophisticated ones are using uh, technological tools that are out there to sort of order workflow and get information out and help us get away from update meetings so that we could have more meaningful conversations. But that requires an organization to have a kind of a resiliency at the start to get out from behind the eight ball and get really proactive about, wait a minute this is not a sustainable system for us. So my concern about your your question about are we working more, my concern about industry and public sector and private sector, both of them, is an emergency is supposed to last three weeks, right? Like we got a flood, (laughs) we fixed the flood. This two-year business means that we have created habits. And since they were not intentional at the start, they were just coalescing as we went along, 
a lot of them aren't great habits. So it becomes this question about knowing what they are and making decisions to break them. You know, what is the new operating model we're going to go into? Uh, that's super interesting. I um, and it reminds me of a few things. One, one I remember my dad, who worked in a manufacturing plant. They um, they brought computers into the plant. I remember him coming home being very frustrated because he said to the guys putting the computers in, I, you're going to computerize, that's cool, but I want the exact same system, like <laughs> computerized. And they were like, no, you don't understand. By make, putting it on the computer, we'll make it better. And he's like, I don't want it better. I want it the same, right? Because mm-hmm. his, his view, it worked, right? Um, and I, when I was in government, the same thing happened when government launched websites. So the first websites were static websites, which were, for all intents and purposes, the paper that government had posted to the web. And it was, ta-da, we have a website. So I never thought about the world of work. We use Zoom and we use screens and we use Teams. But it really functions exactly as it always did before. We've just put a medium in between us in many ways. Right. And there are some organizations that really took the bull by the horns, right? They were like, okay, the old way is I'm trading money for hours, right? The new way is I'm going to trade money for outcomes, so they, you know, they got these workflow management softwares that are just ordering absolutely every task right down to the desk and bubble it up to various levels of management. And they've got note sections in there and you could just click into any task and see what's going on. And as a result, it didn't matter where you were. It didn't even matter when you were working as long as you hit your deadlines. Uh, and mm-hmm. so what it started doing was it started uh, putting capacity into the system because now we don't need update meetings because if I want to know what Sean's working on, I just click on his task and it's written right there. So now I don't have to call him for an update meeting. And that time started getting used for better thinking. So a lot of management jobs and a lot of government jobs and, you know, well, many jobs, in fact, are knowledge jobs. Like these are knowledge workers. Knowledge workers do better when they think. Right. And so now some, a very small minority are working towards, can we give our people that time to think by tightening up our understanding of operations in a virtually enabled world? And not only can I give them time to think, can I let them think whenever they're good at thinking? You know, like who says that, you know, you or Sean are good nine to five. Maybe I'm good at nine o'clock at night till four in the morning. Fine. You know, maybe I want to go to Cuba. Fine. You know, just get 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 the due dates done. So this is a, a whole this is like a sea change on how we even conceive of what a corporation is and, you know, what linkages are and how we work together and, and how we use remote capacities. And a lot of these softwares that, that they're putting in are so innovative out of the box that they are driving efficiencies and new ways of thinking in and of themselves. Whereas, you know, to the example you told me with your dad, this is rampant still in industry today, especially in government. Let me tell you what my process is. You digitize exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is yeah. that? But that's not innovation. That's backwards looking, right? Yeah. 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 But you so, can understand why people like my dad did it, right? It was 30 years of running the the, the shop floor, right? Uh, yeah. Why would you change that, right? I We've got a system that works. I'm sorry, Sean. Well, I was going to say, uh, our, our businesses... Um, rising to the challenge well? Are they doing a reasonably good job now kind of two years into disruption, figuring out how things are going to work going forward? Are we still muddling our way through and just kind of playing whack-a-mole and, and um, putting out fires where they exist and, and, and not actually setting ourselves up for success in the future? 
Well, you know, this is interesting. And I, I think I'm going to answer you with a question right back to the two of you guys, because, you know, I th there, there's there's something that I read an article about recently and I haven't been able to fully digest it, but it's great, which kind of goes to your question, which is that there is they, the researchers in this article um, and off the top of my head, I'd have to go back and find it. But they found that there was a significant disjunction between the points of view of senior leaders and the points of view of everybody else. And that senior leaders seem to have this emotional desire to get back in the workplace, to see people, to have their people around them, you know, almost like, you know, I'm leading my people. Right. <laughs> and that the desire was an emotional one, not necessarily a corporately responsible. It didn't matter because, you know, we're, we're still working. But the people reporting to those leaders have have a very different point of view of, listen, I'm working from home. I'm doing well. I'm doing my job. You know, why are you telling me to go back to work? And, I, you know, I, I believe that there was a stat out there. Maybe I heard it from you, Mike, that uh, if, at, if forced to go back to work, you, it's something like seven out of 10 people said they would quit or something. Did I hear that from you? It's, it's, it might not be for me, but I think I saw that too, sort of six or seven and 10, depending on how it's asked. Yeah. yeah. So when Sean is asking about are we doing it or is it ragtag, this disjunction in communication, I think, is a major yeah. problem. I, I, I would say first, JP, uh, we're the researchers, so you're not allowed to ask us questions. I got uh, that would be the first thing. We, if we knew answers, we wouldn't ask questions. I, I will say, um, I did some work with a with a client. We did about uh, 30, 40 interviews, senior levels. I won't go into any more details. Um, and the senior folks said to me, "It is the one in their view that, and it was a pretty consistent. It was qualitative, but in their view, it was the management level one level down from senior." that was most interested in getting people back into the office, that the senior folks were used, they felt um, that they had enough authority and autonomy. You and I have talked about sort of the loss of autonomy and how it can make people feel in a conversation one day, uh, JP, um, that they thought they had enough autonomy and independence that they could function this way. But the one level down felt somewhat naked without their team around them. Um, and they were used to management by walking around and they couldn't, they were having a harder time coping with it. So, um, and, and so to, to, the, to what you're saying here, this is an emotional response, mm -hmm. right? This is not, uh, this is not a business response. This is just, uh, I feel uncomfortable. I'm pining for a time where things were understandable to me. I want to recreate what I know. I want to get my people around me. These are all emotional things. And I'm not downgrading or, or, or negating them because they're emotional. But what I am saying is that emotional responses do tend to have a bit of a pendulum effect, where at the beginning, you're going to go all the way over here only to realize that maybe that was a bit of an overshot. And then we're not going to see it balance for a little while as yeah. it you know, swings back and forth. So are we doing it ragtag? I don't think we're doing it deliberately on mass to answer your question, Sean, because there's this emotional piece that's that's coming into it that uh, I think people would like to see addressed. So I was wondering, you know, when you were talking about that disconnect, I was thinking maybe that, you know, more junior people obviously recognize the benefits to them commuting from home, et cetera, and all the senior people do is see the challenges that it poses to the organization and and maybe feel ill prepared to to deal with those uh, with those challenges and i guess if if part of that's emotion we get back to that anxiety fear and i noticed on your 
website, no doubt this will cause a surge in website traffic for you. Uh, but you've got lots of, um, you know, videos about fear and, and anxiety. So I'm just wondering, you know, my wife always says anxiety is just fear. Now, she's not a PhD psychologist, uh, but but, you know, is, is she on to something there is 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 anxiety? Why? Why are we so anxious all the time and how can we address it? So anxiety really is usually based in a sense of losing control, okay? It's a loss of control. So there's no uh, surprise that at the start of a pandemic, when everything sort of fell out of everybody's hands, anxiety's shot up. So this notion that I don't know what's going to happen, I can't anticipate where danger is coming from, and therefore I can neither prepare myself nor insulate myself in order to remain safe, right? And what starts to happen is uh, the greater that sense of reduced control, the more it rises, it starts to create um, like a heart palpitation in your brain, like your brain starts to over-focus on the concern of some potential danger. And it's like, you know, it is a bit like a, it, it turns into an unintentional sort of fetishistic, over-examination, over-preoccupation with certain thoughts that cram into your head at the wrong time, and you can't stop them, and it just keeps coming back, right? And this is what anxiety uh, really feels like to people who experience it, almost like, you know, the, the fear of loss of control, and now they're losing control over even the way their brain is functioning as a result of, of the worry about it. And so the question was, is that a big thing in today's day and age? And the answer is absolutely it is, not only because of the start of the pandemic, but also because one of the significant drivers of increased anxiety over time has actually been shown to be uh, screen time and screen addiction. And, you know, the, the, the movement, how it reduces our focus and how it reduces our ability to think through nuance and reduces our stability. And so we entered a place where we knew that this is going to happen. And then we entered the pandemic, which made us anxious to begin with. And then the only mode we had to actually communicate with each other was the one thing that makes us more anxious as time is going on. And it just kind of created this bit of a spiral. And, you know, there's no surprise that there is a decrease in uh, social cohesion going on and a polarization that's happening, um, well, across certainly, you know, Canada and the U.S. now, you know, the U.S. more than Canada, but I think we're we're following suit because, over two years, for sure, we're consuming news in 140 characters, you know, snippets. How much nuance can you put in there? Like how much back and forth uh, analysis can be put in there? And so suddenly our focus is even reducing for our ability to think critically and bounce ideas off and have dialogue over things. And therefore, it raises the specter of even more danger, because now you're dangerous because you think things differently from me and the polarization continues. This is a, a major concern of mine from a societal perspective, never mind from a corporate perspective where you have to try to create a unified culture to hold people together. That's one of our, our uh, my personally, and I think our, our organization's bigger worries as we see the decline in social cohesion in, in some of our data. It's particularly around uh, tr trust in your neighbors to do the right thing, uh, trust in institutions to do the right thing, views that the political system and the account economic system is corrupt, it's on the rise. Um, so it's a little bit of, uh, one of our colleagues calls it, we're in this me over we view of the world, right? Everything starts with me and how do I protect my family and then local and, you know, we've become very insular. On a positive note, um, 
what we don't see in that social cohesion is um, anything that um, uh, pokes at diversity or multiculturalism. In fact, that's risen over the last little while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where we where we worry that some of the U.S. views <laughs> worries, not that this doesn't mean there are different racism in Canada. We worry that some of those are moving up into the country and we're suddenly I don't like them because of the color of their skin or because they're from a different place. Uh, I just like my neighbors, period. Wherever they're from, it's a bit of it, right? But it's not uh, diversity-based. Um, Neighbor agnostic. I hate them all. Yeah. <laughs> a little I bit. Them yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, But, um, you know, the, so, the one thing about the doing the right thing, though, I think we probably should call it out, is that for the most part, although it was okay at the beginning, as the pandemic continued, uh, our politicians didn't do a great job anywhere. And it started reducing trust and confidence in leadership making considered, deliberate, contextual, global decisions that are required. Everything kind of felt like it was shooting from the hip based on what the last poll was. And I think, you know, considering all the frustrations we're going through and how this fundamentally affected my life and your life and Sean's life, and you know, to watch someone make cavalier decisions, uh, I think that also was a huge detractor of trust and confidence. Yeah, I had... um... We had Ron Vesna on, who's uh, um, vice president of Canadian Blood Services, and I asked him about that. Mm-hmm. And he said he actually thought governments did pretty well. He said, if you think about it, he said, it, he goes, I feel for them. He said they were trying to be science-based and the science changed every five minutes. Right. And he said, we're a science-based organization and that we our science was moving in decades and we were able to communicate it clearly and have the timing. He goes, these guys went to bed one day, woke up the next day, and was like, oh, new information. We, how do we deal with that? So he said, I, I feel for them. And not I'm absolving politicians of how we ran things. Uh, but I do think it was incredibly challenged because this was all new. We were learning things on the fly. So We also got a free ride for a year, you know, from public opinion, right? Approval well, ratings so that, was in the 60s. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think part of the problem now is, and we see it in our data, um, is when COVID hit, and I, I actually wrote a, wrote a piece, I think it was on LinkedIn, this is the best of time for politicians. One issue, one constituency. Right. Sure, it was a challenge, but everybody knew what you had to do. You had to come, you know, I'll use the prime minister. He had to come out of the red brick house and talk at 11 o'clock every day. Um, They're done. A little, bit, They're not little done. bit like a sure. little bit like a cuckoo clock and say, here's what we're doing. And then he rolled back in and the next day he rolled out at 11 and everybody was like there waiting to hear, right? What he was going to, where we we're on. It was one issue, one topic, right? And everybody was in agreement that that was the issue. And as we've moved further through, that's not, there is not an issue. Some people it's housing. Some people it's, I can't afford to get my kids to school right. some, or to pay for school. Some people it's COVID still. Some people it's backlogs in the healthcare. Some people it's climate change. Some people it's um, basic infrastructure. So, so we've, all of these issues have come back. And to your point, the pandemic didn't solve any of those issues. It lit them on fire. Um, it, it actually moved us closer to them without a without progress towards them. And now we're smack dab staring on them and going, um, we can't agree on where to go, what to do. So it's a very challenging time. It, you know, and I will start with my compassionate statement before I sort of say why I said before. The compassionate statement is, yes, this is really difficult and it's unprecedented times, okay? And we don't know what the rules are. I actually saw a t-shirt the other day that made me laugh. I'm like, where do I get one of those? It said, what what I wouldn't do for some precedented times, right? Um, <laughs> and I thought that was wonderful. Um, but I was getting a sense at the start, 
that you're absolutely right. That was going on and it was actually unifying and it was making sense. And it was, you know, uh, I was dialing in at 11 o'clock like everybody else. And, you know, we were all rallying behind things. But then what started to happen is as it became, uh, you know, as it turned from a short term emergency, because remember at the beginning, we're all like, it's okay, this will be done by June. Remember that, you know, by July, everything went back to normal Um, into a long term emergency. It was no longer about how do I manage an emergency? Now it's this is the state of life. This is what's going on. The complexity of the world is coming back into this. This is much more than just pandemic. And I found that to some degree, and this is one of the things that, you know, with a lot of my public sector clients also frustrated them, at least on the administration side. I found a lot of politicians when I would hear them talk that there was messaging like they're trying to win the pandemic. Like if I do this right, yeah. I'll get reelected. And like, you can't beat a pandemic. Like that's not how this works. You can only be responsible in a pandemic. And that's when I felt that public sentiment started changing, when started when things started to feel like messaging, when things didn't feel honest anymore. And th- and I think that reduced trust and confidence. When it started to get politicized. And and uh, we had uh, Chris Jackson, who's uh, our counterpart in, this, in the States, on. And uh, I said, what were the diverging paths of Canada and the U.S.? And he said, well, that's it's quite clear in the U.S., it was politicized very early on uh, in, in the process, of course, by by, by Donald, Donald Trump. Um, understanding that we're probably uh, the only thing in between you and your long weekend, uh, I, I do have one more question for you. Why <laughs> do you want me to make my bed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And do dishes. You know, this is very interesting. When the pandemic hit, I woke up every day and for six months I had no work, like literally. It was just it was like a ghost town. You know, we called each other. Clients called me, but not to ask for work, just to say, how you doing? You know, what do you think is going on? And, uh, you know, I was in in that place where I was also like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, maybe I'm never going to be employed again. Maybe I need to put everything online. You know, I did the same thing. What that created for me was a bit of a it, it was a vacuum, like, you know, just I was I was in a fog I didn't know what the future held. I knew the past was gone. I don't know, you know, the old is no longer. I don't know what the new is. What's right? I don't know. What's wrong? I don't know. And I started feeling like that was dragging me down. You know, I, I, I would go to bed at night and I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like, you know, I'm, feel, I'm starting to feel lost. And so what I started doing is I said to myself, no, wait a minute. I'm going to counteract this feeling of being lost by making myself do little things in the day that I could then use to feel satisfied that I've done something today. And so I started testing it out. One of the first things I did was I made my bed every morning, but it wasn't about the making of the bed. It was, but it wasn't. So I made the bed, I made it nice, and then I would go to my bedroom door and I would turn and look at the bed and I would deliberately take a second to say, that looks good. And then I would walk it. I'm giving myself like, a marker. And one of the things I would do for, for months, March 13th, everything closed down, right? March 14th at 2 p.m., I still remember the time, my dishwasher broke. Okay, so now I have no dishwasher. But what started happening is every night my family would go to bed and I had a quiet house and I would just turn down the lights in the kitchen and usually in silence, I filled the sinks with hot water and I washed dishes for an hour and then I cleaned my kitchen. And at the end of it, I stopped at the doorway of the kitchen and looked back and I said, 
that looks good. And I was really surprised how just the sense of accomplishment in what I did have control over settled me down. So that was the, the point about, you know, I've lost control of the world. Like, I, well, I never had control of the world, but I, my sense of control in the world was gone. But I have control here. So I started to take it back in little ways. And honestly, that pulled me through six months. And I believe to this day made me stronger, made me better able to dream up my future and made me better able to ramp up my own sort of approach to what is my peri-pandemic, post-pandemic business. That, that, that is where it is today, just based on little innocuous things that meant the world to me. So that's why I say that. Perfect. So, Sean? Make your bed. Yeah, I got to go make my bed. <laughs> I'm going to ask one more question that's probably completely unfair. And you can say, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but we've talked a lot about fear and anxiety. We've talked a lot about COVID. But sure enough, 51 days ago, you know, when we thought our biggest issue was this viral strain that oh. we were going to war with, an actual war broke out. And how does, like, it just seems like one gut punch after another from a fear and anxiety standpoint. And obviously, we have some geographic distance in Canada. We don't have any visual distance because of the way media works. We see it, hear it, feel it. So that, you know, um, so maybe our fear level is a little bit lower because we're not in Poland or I have a, I have a friend in Italy and he's like, it's a six hour drive, uh, you know, um, so, so. Any any thoughts on you know how much more that has uh, is it is made made the fire bigger or is it in some ways distracted us or or any thoughts on that? I think you know I've said to a few colleagues that I, I really regret that we got over the pandemic because a war started right that you know that well, we that's why I meant by distraction is it's, yeah. And, 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 and that it kind of put things in perspective. What am I perceiving? Like the question is, I don't want to call it unfair. It's just right at the start though. Like it's only been a few weeks. Like what is this It, it is unfair. That's why. I, and I guess what I'm making the bed. I'm, no, no. Yeah, I know. Make your bed. <laughs> what I am observing with, with a lot of my clients is, uh, and a lot of corporations is there, yeah. there's a weight and, and the weight is, it's like, you know, I just got through a pandemic and just got over death because it was we talked about death. We had we, like we were we had tickers that were showing death. Yeah, on yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, what yeah. the heck is that? And now I'm entering a new uh, package of death, like more, you know, and I think there's a weight and there's a sadness and uh, I, it's it's a despondency that I'm starting to feel, you know, I to our credit. I'm not feeling, certainly I'm not perceiving in the people I'm talking to uh, aggression or fury or rebellion. Like I'm not, I, like nothing like that. But I am feeling, um, I am feeling like, like we all got pushed back onto our couches and we sighed and we've let all of our breath out and we don't know how to get up. Yeah. That's kind of what that's I'm feeling. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a. Uh... Fairly and so nice. from a corporate perspective, this is a major leadership challenge of how do you breathe life into a workforce that is being affected like this from such large global influences that, we, I mean, how do you do that? And so, it, it, and it's, the, the conversation is just starting now about how do we motivate people? How do we create a sense of 
a, a sense of breadth and a little bit of joy, maybe a little bit of laughter, just a little bit of meaning in, you know, the joy of connecting with each other uh, to remind us how blessed we are. And maybe this will just buoy us a little bit, right, as, as we go through whatever it's going to be. Uh, I think there is uh, a sense of hope that goes up and down and up and down and up and down yeah. based on what you're hearing on the news. And I get concerned that the yanking of that chain is going to get real exhausting really fast, you know, and that that might move to a darker place. But I, uh, you know, I know that when I saw a lot of the research you guys pulled together on social cohesion and sentiment, uh, I can't help but to feel that this is not just because of pandemic and politicization, but that sentiment is also being affected by world affairs. I think we saw a similar dip after 9-11, uh, where there yep. was sort of like a bit of a societal depression that settled in and then eventually came back. So I, I'm observing some of that. Uh, but if you're asking me what do we do about it, uh, I need to have a lot more conversation. Well, yeah, no, it was more just more just what you're observing. And I think that that's excellent. Uh, not excellent that's happening, but an excellent take on it. Uh, thank you very much. But I'll um, tell you this. I, here's what I am observing. I fight it by hugging my kids. It's an excellent point. Yeah, no, it, uh, well, you find the things that work for, everybody finds things that work for them that, that puts everything in perspective. Um, right. and, and, and so to, to your point on organizationals, organizations and finding joy, <laughs> finding opportunities to celebrate, uh, I, I think that's key. And, uh, I, cause I, it feels like we're the back to back, uh, stresses of war and geopolitical issues and pandemic have put us in a deep trough. Um, that it's going to take a while and some concerted effort to to uh, to climb out of both at the personal level, social level, and organizational level. I guess that's not both because it's three, Mike. But um, uh, right, so I, <laughs> catch myself. Uh, well, JP, thank you very much. Sean, unless there's anything Indeed. else, oh, um, no, it's great. Thank I, you. It, uh, uh, thank you for the time, JP. Um, and maybe when we start to climb out of the trough, uh, we'll get you back to talk about how we. Uh, push organizations uh, up a level. Uh, I would love that. I appreciate very much you guys would have me here, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Educated Conjecture. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of Public Opinion and Informed Insights. If you have a topic you'd like to see covered on an upcoming episode, please send us an email at publicaffairs at ipsos.com. That's P-U-B-L-I-C A-F-F-A-I-R-S at ipsos, I-P-S-O-S dot com.